Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Damian Bulwa. Today on Fifth and Mission, what you need to know about efforts to stop the spread of monkeypox in the Bay Area. The virus that has been endemic for years in other parts of the world is now gaining steam, particularly among gay and bisexual men in San Francisco, where city officials have now declared a state of emergency. We are here because we, as a city and county of San Francisco, officially are declaring a state of emergency for a public health crisis uh, in San Francisco involving monkeypox. And more clearly, we want to make it known that San Francisco has one of the highest case rates already of monkeypox of any other major city in the country. And that we are at a very scary place. And We don't want to be ignored by the federal government in our need. As of late last week, the city had reported nearly 300 cases of the disease, which spreads through close physical contact and causes painful lesions that sometimes require hospitalization. Complicating the spread of the virus is a failure by health officials to match vaccines to the demand for them. San Francisco had by last week received only about 8,200 doses, after requesting 35,000 doses for its highest-risk residents. Many LGBTQ residents and advocates are angry and worried, not only about the faltering response, but about how monkeypox may be used against them at a time of increasingly hostile discrimination. Later in the show, I'm going to talk to Chronicle reporter Tony Bravo, who's been taking the pulse of San Francisco's LGBTQ community. But first, reporter Dustin Gardner He's been covering the latest developments in the outbreak. Dustin, what are the latest numbers on the monkeypox outbreak? We know there's at least 281 cases in San Francisco, and there's 786 cases at least statewide. Um, And I keep saying at least because officials think there are far more cases than those numbers. Um, Testing is just not available in a lot of places, or it's not readily accessible to a lot of people. So those case counts are expected to increase pretty rapidly in the near future. And what's the latest on vaccination? I mean, San Francisco has been looking for far more. What do the officials say now? San Francisco has about 8,200 doses of the vaccine so far. The city has ordered over 30,000 doses, but Mayor London Breed says that she expects the city actually needs close to 70,000 doses. And with the national shortage in the vaccine supply, it could be a really long time before San Francisco actually gets what it needs. Dustin, you wrote that the virus is inflicting an uneven toll on gay and bisexual men. How do we know that and how is that affecting the public health response? We know that because for the first time um, on Friday, the State Department of Public Health released demographic data about patients who have tested positive for the virus. Um, And this includes information such as age, race, gender, sexual orientation, gender identity. What really jumped out from those numbers immediately was just the percentage of gay men that that are getting infected. Gay men are more than 91% of the total infection so far which is just a staggering number. It's not necessarily 
necessarily a surprise because we knew that the virus has been spreading heavily in the LGBT community, um, but this is the first time we've seen it quantified in California. 91% are people that are uh, homosexual, same gender, loving people. And then we have also transgender people are about 1% of infection so far. So it is really what we expected that the LGBT community is getting hit hardest. And what does that mean for the response? Having this data out there, it does a couple of things. LGBT advocates say that this will go a really long way in terms of shaping how vaccines are distributed. As vaccines come into the state, this data will help tailor where it goes and what communities it goes to first. Um, it also is going to shape how the state allocates resources, how the state decides to spend money on contact tracing, on testing, outreach efforts to fight the spread of the virus. State legislators right now are considering a budget bill that would outline more funding to help with the response. And so this data will help guide that. And it also, it just helps shape awareness within the gay community and the LGBT community. Having this number out there, it reinforces the concern, but it also heightens the level of alarm for folks and advocates hope that it'll really help people take things more seriously. I want to back up a little bit. Did the state, did doctors always take down this information about sexual orientation, gender identity? No, this is a very new thing, actually. This is the first time in response to a major epidemic that the state has released this information about sexual orientation and gender identity with the demographic data that it collects. Um, during the pandemic, there was a bill that State Senator Scott Weiner carried that required the state to start gathering that information about infectious diseases. The state has for decades collected other demographic data about diseases, but it was never gathering information about LGBT people until that bill was passed during the pandemic. And that was really um, pushed because Scott Weiner and a lot of gay leaders were frustrated that the community was not being considered in early reporting and data collection related to COVID. So now we have this law on the books and another public health crisis has come and um, the state is more prepared to start gathering that data. Dustin, though, there is a tension that you mention in your reporting between people like Wiener who want this information out there and others who are really worried about the stigma, about discrimination. Yeah, this has been a tough conversation among public health officials and within the LGBT community itself. On one hand, you have people saying that they're concerned about stigmatizing people in the community, having people feel shamed or targeted um, because there is this outbreak in the community. But on the other hand, I think a lot of gay leaders are of a different mindset and they really feel like having this data out there, it's factual for starters. And also they feel like it is going to really help improve the response. They've been frustrated for a long time about the federal and state response to the monkeypox and having data that quantifies just the uneven told that this is taking on gay men and bisexual men and transgender people, that data will help draw more attention to this situation. And, you know, the way Scott Weiner put it when I talked with him, he just said, we want to know what's happening in our community. And he said that mindset that having data out there about LGBT people and their health the mindset that that is somehow stigmatizing or negative. He said that's kind of rooted in an old school thinking about uh, sexual orientation and gender identity. People that thought it was sort of a dirty secret thing that should stay hidden. And now people want to have a lot more open conversation and just really recognize the reality of what's going on with the health of the community. All right, let's get back to San Francisco. Late last week, the mayor, uh, the public health director, others declared a state of emergency. What does that mean? 
really does two things. The first is it makes it much easier to access federal funding. Um, having local emergencies um, opens up different funding pots that the city can apply for and, and seek out at the state and federal levels. That's the first big piece is just getting more access to resources. The second part, which is arguably um, just as important, is just public awareness. By having an emergency declared, it does elevate the level of the conversation and it just kind of puts a much bigger explanation point on the level of the crisis. All right. And also on the vaccines, Dustin, I want to ask you about another debate that's going on, which is with a shortage, shades of the COVID-19 pandemic, there's talk of whether to do one dose, even though the ideal dosage is two. This was discussed by Thomas Aragon, the state public health director, in a phone call with reporters. And he said California is also suggesting that communities take that approach. And we've seen this approach taken by Chicago and New York and other places across the country. And Aragon said that this makes sense because one dose of the vaccine does provide some level of defense and immunity. And he wants the state to prioritize getting as many people in vulnerable populations to have one dose as quickly as possible, given the national shortage in the vaccine. And then over time, as more doses become available, the people that have one dose will be encouraged to get that second dose. So really the priority in the strategy is just to get as many people in the community as possible to have one dose, people that are in in the at-risk and vulnerable communities. Given where we are, what is the concern about further spread? What are experts predicting? There is a lot of concern that spread will ramp up in the coming weeks. The numbers, just given gaps in testing and the lack of testing and a lack of awareness among a lot of health providers, there's a lot of frustration about that. So I think the concern is that there's already a lot more infection out there in the community that just is going unnoticed. After a quick break, we'll hear from reporter Tony Bravo on the LGBTQ community's response to San Francisco's monkeypox outbreak and what members of the community think could be done better right after this. We'll be right back. You can support the newsroom that creates Fifth Emission by signing up for unlimited access at sfchronicle.com slash pod or by downloading the San Francisco Chronicle app. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bolwa, joined now by Chronicle reporter Tony Bravo. Tony, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Tony, you've been reporting on the LGBTQ community's response to monkeypox in San Francisco and the response to the efforts so far to stop it. What are you hearing from folks? Well, there's a lot of frustration in the community about what they see as some inefficiencies in the rollout of the vaccine. Uh, There have been people that have said there were already systems in place for vaccines with COVID. There are lessons we should have learned from that. Why weren't those kept operational and then utilized for this? In terms of people's response to the state of the emergency, I think the people are feeling like it's the right time. Perhaps it's even overdue. There is a lot of frustration, though, still about the lack of vaccine quantity, the long lines for vaccination, and also this feeling that it is perhaps being ignored or lessened because of the stigma at the moment that this is a a virus that mostly impacts men who have sex with other men. Tony, are people feeling that way? Do they think that things could have been a lot different? I think there's always the question within our community when there's an issue that impacts us directly that doesn't automatically seem to impact people outside of the LGBT community that we do become a little bit less of a priority. As we know, though, 
Although it is primarily uh, gay men or men that have sex with other men that these cases are showing up in, it is not a virus that only impacts the LGBT community. It can affect everybody just like HIV and AIDS did. And there is concern that by stigmatizing this as a so-called gay virus, that not only will there be an action, but the people outside the community won't take the necessary precautions. So San Francisco late last week declared monkeypox a public health emergency. They were trying to free up more funding and do other things that might help. I mean, what you were talking to people, what was the response immediately to that? I think people thought it was about time. A lot of people asked me, what will this actually do, though? Will this make it easier for us to get vaccine appointments? Will this make the line shorter? Will this guarantee that there is a vaccine for us when we reach the end of the line? I think there were more questions, really, about what exactly the order meant than you know strict uh, reactions to it, because I think there is still so much confusion around monkeypox. How much were people talking about the mistakes and the discrimination of the past? Obviously, there's still a lot of scars from the response to the HIV AIDS crisis. And I imagine that's got to be in people's minds. Well, I think it certainly is, especially for the older Generation X and boomers that really lived through the worst days of the HIV and AIDS uh, epidemic in the 80s and 90s. Uh, Cleve Jones the founder of the AIDS Memorial Quilt and the San Francisco AIDS Foundations, among his other credits in the community, actually expressed exactly that, this idea that we should have learned the lessons with COVID. We should now be carrying these lessons from COVID over into how we're responding to monkeypox. And the fact that it seems like we need to learn these lessons repeatedly wastes time, especially when we're talking about a contagious virus. So, Tony, Pride happened last month, and San Francisco has a number of other events coming up, including a leather and fetish event that took place just over the weekend. Are we seeing any changes at events? Are organizers talking to guests? I spoke to Juanita Moore, who does probably the best-known San Francisco Pride party, and she said that at the time they were not being given any additional warnings about needing to post warnings or post signs at events about monkeypox. And she said that she felt because her event is a relatively clothed event that they were on the safer side. In terms of more recent things that have happened, at the Dory Alley Up Your Alley events uh, over the weekend, there were a couple of parties that's canceled. There were a few parties that on their Evite pages were specifically saying If you are showing any of the following symptoms, we are very happy to refund your money. There were also more postings about safer and better practices. You know, information is really the thing that's needed in the community right now. So the flyers that are going around on social media, these fact sheets, I think, are one of our best weapons at the moment. I want to ask you about something that happened last week. The director general of the World Health Organization made a number of recommendations for stopping or slowing community transmission. Before I ask you about it, let's listen to that clip. This is an outbreak that can be stopped. The best way to do that is to reduce the risk of exposure. That means making safe choices for yourself and others. For men who have sex with men, this includes, for the moment, reducing your number of sexual partners, reconsidering sex with new partners, and exchanging contact details with any new partners to enable follow-up if needed. Tony, we've heard a lot of different responses to this set of instructions. What kind of reactions have you heard? Uh, What do people think about the effectiveness of this type of advice? 
Well, I have to say that when this type of advice was given in the 1980s initially about the HIV AIDS epidemic, there was a huge negative reaction to the idea that gay men who had uh, really about a decade before, a little more than that, gained political power and uh, visibility with events like Stonewall, for them to suddenly have to suppress this part of their identity that they had fought to live publicly was very controversial and had a lot of negative reaction to it. I'd like to think that we have progressed beyond those stages. I think that especially with COVID, many of us are more versed in a very immediate type of contagious practices and contact tracing. And, you know, frankly, we should still be pretty well-versed with safer sex practices, given the fact that even with drugs like PrEP uh, significantly lessening the chances of contracting HIV, we are still a community that lives at the risk of STIs. Some of the reactions I've heard so far are, are positive. They're not saying not to have intimate contact. They're suggesting that people have safer types of intimate contact. Uh, one of the people that was an organizer for uh, the Dory Alley event over the weekend and I were joking that, you know, given the fact that it is infected skin contact that is the issue, it's a great time to be somebody that's into leather or something else that's going to cover your body in the gay community. So thankfully, Dory Alley was a leather event, um, but I'm sure vinyl and all other types of materials are, are helpful at lessening the contact. Tony, is there additional fear in the community? Because we are in a political moment in this country where a lot of politicians are weaponizing homophobia and weaponizing transphobia. Absolutely. You know, whenever there is something that seems to hit the LGBT community first, I feel like there's a few reactions. One of them is usually some type of derisive response. There is still a contingent of people that live and vote in our country that um, believe that LGBTQ people are deviants and see anything bad that happens to that community as some kind of, you know, biblical punishment. Uh, I think that there is a lot of fear that, especially with venues recovering from the closures of COVID, that there could potentially be additional closures down the line. That is not something that the emergency order has in any way said is going to happen. Uh, but there's also a fear that venues or places where LGBT people congregate could potentially become targets for homophobia or homophobic violence. I mean, we have seen some instances in the Bay Area, in the East Bay, with Drag Queen Story Hour being disrupted. Uh, we saw the potential disruption of a Pride event in Idaho back in June. We're a community that is often anxious, as many marginalized communities are, and I think this is one more thing that we have to be worried about, A, not contracting, and B, not being used against us politically. Tony Bravo, thank you so much. Thanks again. Thanks to my guests today. They're Chronicle reporters Dustin Gardner and Tony Bravo. Thanks to Karen Creighton for producing this episode. And thank you for listening.